Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer podcast brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us. We had a little break there for a couple of weeks. So this is our second series and we hope you enjoyed the first series. We had lots of positive feedback and we had lots of um, engagement on our blog as well. So let us know if you want to contribute as normal by checking on our www.activistlawyer.com. So back into the studio today and I'm happy to say I am joined by a solicitor, a Northern Ireland based solicitor called Kieran Kerr Johnston. Um, hi Kieran, you're joining us by phone today. <laughs> I am indeed, Kerr, how are you? Pleasure to be here. I'm good. You're actually not too far away from me. Um, you're pretty much maybe about five minutes away. I think you're working um, in Uri Courthouse today. So Yeah, we're in the uh, we're in the Crown Court in Uri today, <laughs> just with a, with a trial ongoing here. And I'm trying. sure you probably can see me from your office where you're, you are. You're so good to set time aside for us. Um, we were saying you could pop in, but no, just in case you're on call there and you need to scramble yeah. into the courthouse, we'll leave you there in your car. But it's all good. The sound's all good. And... Um, We'll get into talking about, I suppose, your work and a few issues that have come up in your work that'll be relevant for our listeners. But first, I'm going to give a brief introduction to our listeners. So, Kieran graduated from the University of Ulster in Belfast with an honours in law in 2017, so not too long ago, and completed no. his solicitor training at the Institute of Professional Legal Studies in 2019. He then undertook his apprenticeship specialising in criminal law, civil litigation and judicial review. Kieran was involved previously in the Bally Murphy inquest, which we'll get on to a little bit later, uh, which heard almost 100 days of evidence from more than 100 witnesses, including more than 60 former soldiers, more than 30 civilians and experts in ballistics, pathology and civil engineering. So a lot to take on board there. One area of practice in which Kieran is involved in is personal injury and represents clients um, around road traffic accidents, accidents at work, tripping and slipping incidents, but regularly deals with high court catastrophic injury claims involving paralysis, brain injury, loss of limbs and long-term care. In addition, Kieran also undertakes a wide range of public law and judicial review matters, challenging the decisions and feelings of public authorities and set a legal precedent in this jurisdiction wherein he became the first solicitor to conduct a PACE interview remotely via digital means, having raised a challenge against the PSNI on this basis. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. That's fantastic. You're also, Kieran, behind the scenes, or maybe this is um, just as important as your work, a keen GAA player. Well, I think it's more than a keen GAA player. You're representing yeah. <laughs> County Antrim at senior level in hurling. So, wow, <laughs> that's a lot, a lot to take on. So again, thanks for joining us, uh, Kieran. And I, I think as well, it's great. We've had lots of queries in from uh, solicitors. We're sharing a lot of our uh, blogs and our podcasts with younger groups of solicitors, solicitors who are just starting out or students. And we've had a great response from them just in terms of, you know, getting involved in the areas of work that we're discussing, human rights and uh, judicial review. We had a few lawyers on as well, similar to yourself, again, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And this uh, season, we hope to have a lot more engagement from people. So how how did you get into this area, Kieran? And, you know, what advice maybe do you have firstly for aspiring lawyers to maybe get into the areas that you work in? I suppose that it was a, a family connection, really. And I always remember from, I've always wanted to be involved in uh, law of some description. I know that mm -hmm. from uh, an early age. And I actually 
funny, last Friday I had a conversation with Slitter uh, Reg Rankin of Green Rankin Lansing in the Falls Road and I was laughing, Reg was, he's on the other side of the case to me and he, I was actually telling him, by the way Reg, not to make you feel old, but I did my work experience when I was in fifth year with you and uh, he was laughing, he said well at least then he must have had a good impression and he certainly did and I suppose um, yeah. I've did a, a couple of apprenticeships or, or indeed did days here and there in various offices and I suppose when you come from, especially I'm a, a working class family from West Belfast and uh, human rights is, is definitely an issue that we it's always progressed and especially within the north there's a jurisdiction you know you yeah. get civil rights and, and, and how important that is and um, as, as a whole community and as a, for across the jurisdiction and it's sometimes it's quite pic- extremely grateful uh, the work that exactly, you do yeah. i suppose we had dara Mackin on as well of course you know dara from phoenix law and, and other solicitors who are dealing with uniquely northern irish cases so you, you know you follow along a similar a similar trail i suppose um and and living in west belfast i guess you know you would uh, be familiar anyway with a lot of the issues that had arisen here mm-hmm. um so yeah but it's 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 tough going i'd imagine or you know how do you do you find the work itself and I guess you probably haven't been playing Gaelic for a while or has that been maybe put on hold how do you balance the two I have to say it is it's it, it can be challenging and I suppose you always hear this term time management and you, you do try your best and I know you're probably in a similar boat sir and mm-hmm. so many slitters are when if you have kids or any sort of family yeah. like you know but my, my other um, obviously I'm lucky enough that my partner Sarah she's also a slitter so right. she appreciates that uh, the pressures there and, yeah. um, and the time I was actually just as when we're saying I, I recently just turned 27 there so mm-hmm. I'm getting old I have to say and, you really uh, are you're passionate I, I, I know <laughs> I can tell you and the, the greys are coming <laughs> slowly but surely and um but i was when people say to me well you know how uh, strenuous or how time consuming is your job well, i said well listen you know you don't get birthdays out of my 27th was on a saturday and i spent the whole day in Musgrave serious crime suit and i spent yeah. the next three days there so you know so but that, that's it, it's something i enjoy absolutely yeah. like i am actually lucky to get up in the morning and say that i absolutely love the job that i do and that's you know that's partly that's down to the cases that's down to the clients down to especially the the colleagues that i work with and uh, you know both solicitors and counsel it's i have to say i think when people say to me well it's it's an extremely tough job but yeah it's extremely tough but tough tough job and massive rewards though when you're able to get um, success or you know what clients deem justice you know and and justice for clients can can mean a different a variety of reasons depending on what area you're you're operating in but I have to say overall I would always encourage people to get into law and particularly human rights I think it is I know I, I'm biased on this point but yeah. I think it is by far and away the most interesting and the most fulfilling in terms yeah. of it's job cert- satisfaction it's certainly rewarding it's full on I guess you're probably always switched on that's one thing I've noticed about even myself working in human rights in the past you know, 10, 15 years as well, you're, you know, you, 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 it's not a job, you can just switch off at, at five o'clock and you're not, you're not thinking about your work. Um, you have to be committed and you have to be passionate. Um, and yeah. I remember doing the PACE interviews. I mean, that's full on. You could be called at any time and it's, it's quite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a special person. I do think it takes that kind of um, commitment and devotion to be able to, to do that. Uh, but it's great um, to hear, you know, your perspective on it. And I suppose we should say you're working with Brentnell Legal 
uh, based in, in Belfast. So your firm yeah, itself deals correct. with a lot of criminal justice issues anyway. And just in relation to that, we mentioned briefly there in the introduction, everything changed, I guess, in with COVID and the way proceedings are handled and conducted. Criminal law did not escape that in any way. And I know hearing from other solicitors, they find it extremely difficult to manage their workload and ensure the clients got access to justice, you know, that they needed. You were really heavily involved in, I suppose, putting together a new digital mechanism to work as best you could and I suppose deliver justice to clients. That was back in April 2020. Um, You acted remotely for a client in a police interview and it was a first Mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland. Um, And you issued pre-action proceedings against the PSNI on behalf of a client who was arrested at that time. How did that turn out? I mean, you were really using technology to its best and it was something very unique and novel in this area. How has that developed, Kieran? It's very important. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was... uh, (laughs) It sort of just took me when we were sitting having, we were thinking about it over. And I suppose it works because the advancements of technology that we have at our disposal. And um, when we were in the infancy of the pandemic at that stage in April mm-hmm. 2020, and that particular client had been arrested on, on serious offences. And, and because obviously the Belfast Slitters had said, you know, and uh, taken precautions and necessary precautions in terms of health and trying to limit numbers of police stations. And But, I mean, access to justice is absolutely key. And, and I think well, one thing that my boss, Michael, would continually say, and I think it's a fantastic um, mantra to go by for anyone who deals with police or criminal law, your first interview or your first arrest is the first day of your trial or any contest to come after that. So whatever goes on in there, Whatever's said, whatever's not said, it has huge ramifications mm-hmm. down the line for you. So, and as I said, with the advancements of technology, I mean, we have, as we all know, we have video links in courts. Yeah. And I suppose it was just saying, well, why, why can't we do that mechanism for and and uh, for arrests? You know, what is the difference here? Where where, where does it where do we draw the line? And I suppose, in fairness, the PSNI, and it, thankfully it has now been enacted and, and it's in active use across, you know, for all solicitors, we're all, anyone, we're able to operate remotely. And, and particularly, I think it's it's a great aid for solicitors because, as you said there, sir, you could get a call at one o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. two o'clock in the morning, you know, in the early hours, very unsocial um, hours for anyone to be dealing with. And, you know, you could be, I could be in Belfast and a client could be arrested in Noma and it, it makes it a bit more smooth, that transition, yeah. that you're able to link in, you know, and you're still able to provide um, the advices and um, the, the adequate advices to, to get yourself, to get the client um, legally, you know, legally briefed yeah. and, and, and that they're content with what they're being provided with. But I would be a massive, I suppose, there's a bit of a running joke in our office that, that they think that I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to pace and you're they the must be guy. in the minority. Yeah, <laughs> who, who enjoys, um, particularly who enjoys, you know, who, who enjoys arrests and there's sense like you have a, a weird fixation with, with enjoying arrests. But um, I suppose it, it's, it's definitely an area of law that I'm passionate about and it was, it was a big achieve, it was a big honour for me to be able to... Um, I mean, when, when so many slitters within the profession, so so many colleagues mm-hmm. have benefited from it, and, and I'm, I'm sure, and similarly, clients have benefited from it, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is now being enacted. Big, this is, you know, yeah, how, yeah, it, 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 yeah. The, the law society and the PSNI had then engaged in discussions, right? And um, in respect of the remote interviews, and that's now being uh, it's a fully accepted uh, practice now. And I really, I sit, 
sincerely hope that, that, that it's it's a policy that continues because, as I say, um, you know, in terms of limits, the amount of times that slitters are having to travel and clients are having to wait, then yeah. everything's just sped up because it you is. have this you know, the exact access. Yeah, oh, that's such a big change. And I guess, so, just to be clear, I'm not a tech person, but I this is using yeah. Skype or Zoom, for example, to contact, yeah. to c- conduct the interviews remotely. Yeah, yeah and I think we're used to now. I mean, you know. Exactly. And if you didn't have that, I mean, it severely limits um, fair representation, you know. Uh, so that's fantastic. And I look forward to seeing whether that is, you know, fully implemented and continues to be something that they use. And it'll be interesting to see how this fares out as well. I suppose employment tribunals were already being conducted to some extent remotely. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I'd say there will be changes in the legal profession adapting more to technology. It makes sense. Well, actually, uh, there was a Shell and Benchy solicitors in, in Dublin. Yeah. Had, um, they, they have actually, they contacted me after, I think it was just in around October, November, because in the South, the solicitors don't have, they can't avail that, clients can't avail of remote access, even now, continue throughout. So they have contacted and uh, done, a bit of a, done a bit of work with them and they put a paper forward to the Arachis. Right. For the Department of Justice, for that to be, um, for that practice to be rolled out, and I know that's just, I suppose they just had asked me just that, uh, what yeah. had been the mechanism yeah. or how do we go about it, and, and what what are the advantages, and you know, and just yeah. explain it. And I know they have now submitted a paper to the office, the Department of Justice, and and um, they've quoted um, we that, that case in particular of that client and the, the remote means in the north has now been used. And I mean that's fantastic for a whole island approach, you know. And, it really yeah, is and to be able to be to be able to be um, pushing the boundaries in terms of legal advices. And maybe, maybe it took on pre- unprecedented times like you know COVID and exactly. stuff. So there is exactly. something positive that came out of that. And we'll I suppose we'll keep an eye and see how that develops. Uh, that's fantastic. Another area. I, you know, you've you've lots of different areas that you're involved in, but just yeah. for the purposes of, of this podcast, um, something we haven't touched on fully, but we we hope to get more experts on to speak about their work around children's rights, and you in particular uh, led a number of cases in relation to children's rights to education. Um, you had instructed you were instructed to issue pre-action correspondence to the Education Authority in Northern Ireland on behalf of a child who had been diagnosed with autism and released a statement of special educational needs. So this child was struggling in mainstream school environments. How did that fare? Um, you know, is that an ongoing matter? So, thankfully, in that particular case, sir, we we, we got. Uh, we, we, we got the best outcome for the child and that child has now been placed within um, a school that, that can suit the child's needs and, and I think that's this area in particular I think has especially in the current pandemic I think two two massive things within society have been have been um, addressed as such or exposed more so really to be honest and not, not the education and, and health the, the, the pandemic has really um, scratched the surface and shown that years of systematic failures, to be honest, has now got us into the situation that we're in. And I mean, that's there was a report last year, and I, I mean, I think it was in the region that the EAA they have it approximated at about just over two thousand children are statemented, wow. uh, or or are deemed to have um, special 
special educational needs, and um, and I think even it was it was that was just for those who were in mainstream school. You know, I think the actual figure when the when the children's commissioner looked into it was around eighty thousand school age children okay. in the north had some form of special needs. You know, so that's almost a quarter of the pupils that you're dealing with, and and if the adequate provisions aren't there, and the state, I refer to the stakeholders as in you know, the teachers and the children and any of the parents particularly, if they don't have faith in the quality of the system, you know, yeah. its accessibility and the value that's placed on the needs and the views of the children themselves, that's particularly concerning. And, yeah. and, that, and that's one area that, you know, it's, uh, for me, it's like anything, when you build a house, you have to get the foundations right. Mm-hmm. And so within society, you, you, the children, in, if we aren't providing adequate education, for our youth, yeah. what, what what does that then lead to at, at later at later stages, and and that's the disadvantages, and that sort of ties me back into when you're in criminal law, you, you're you're working with those who are socially disadvantaged, those who are, are the most um, maligned in society, and when you when you strip that back, a lot of the times that reserves back to the you know education and not the adequate education being provided, and, and yeah. the all human human rights isn't just. One area that you you will find that they go in tandem with one another. There are so mm-hmm. many links and tentacles that that when you add them all up, you say right, okay, this is the reason, and then this is what we can what, what it stems back to. Um, yeah, well, I suppose it's similar. We had um, Kieran O'Hare on here before. I'm not sure if if you know Kieran, another solicitor. I do indeed. Yeah, I do indeed. Um, fantastic. Northern Ireland, and similarly, he discussed hospital waiting lists in Northern Ireland. Um, obviously the catalyst has been COVID and and everything going ar- around with the pandemic. But as as you just said, these problems are already there. I mean, this you know the the issues around accessing adequate healthcare were already there. And he, like you spoke about, you know, the statutory obligation that for in your case the education authority has to provide uh-huh. or or owes to citizens here. And I suppose we don't, you know, everyday life we don't think about that and we don't. I suppose, challenge um, the relevant authority. So this case that you're working on in terms of a child's right to education is another example of how to demonstrate. Well, in fact, look, um, the education authority owes, provides us, you know, and, and I suppose the, the um, I think it's the education order, 1998, provides a statutory obligation to make arrangements yep. for the provision of suitable education for children. And again, it's only when you challenge it and you know you realise that it's not adequate, and this provision hasn't been provided to to children who need it. But the numbers are quite startling, aren't they? It's, I mean, it, it, and it, it's you know it's and it's not even a case of you have within there was a a report last year, and it was too little, too late. There was a, a rights based uh, review of of the SEN of special mm-hmm. educational needs and and mainstream schools and just. And I, I, I am conscious that that so many and the EA, I'm sure they are doing their, their best that they can within. But it seemed that rather than that, their placement was being decided upon resources as opposed yeah. to the actual abilities of the child. And and, and that you know that's never going to that, that's always going to be doomed to failure. And that that is the concern in part because. Every single child, you, then you're having to deal with, you know, the emotional and the mental difficulties that they're experiencing and the frustration they're experiencing because, and then, and then that that stems onto the parents, of and the course. parents always want the best for their kids, and yeah. it's just a perpetual, you know, the perpetual system of, of mm-hmm. that, that's under extreme pressure that really, 
I mean, I think in, in the, the new decade, new approach, that document published mm-hmm. by the government, it, it had a commitment that the executive would indeed pursue an external independent review of the education system. And I think it, it requires a wholesale review. You know, yeah. it, it's not simply a, there is one area in particular, but I think it's, uh, some of the cases that I've dealt with, and, and I have a younger sister who's in secondary school at the moment, and education itself, because of the pandemic, has has been difficult, and teachers have done their best to navigate. But special educational needs, you know, mm-hmm. in particular, has been a real concern in area because of the enhanced provision that they should be afforded. Yeah. And so many schools have done, have have stayed open and done the best, but again, it's an area that's as Kieran has touched upon in terms of health. Education mm-hmm. is underfunded, and yes. and you're talking about education and health are two of your bedrocks of a society. You know, if, if you don't have, especially if you're a, a democracy, and if you don't have either of those, and freely, just like justice, if it, if they're not freely accessible. Mm-hmm. When you, you despair as to what then is the outcome and, and the pressures that, um, that that have come with it, so it's it is. certainly so for me it's, it's a yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a very difficult one, the, the health and the education uh, pieces that we've covered then. Um, the stress on, obviously, people who are affected and, and parents, we all know somebody in that position. And I think just watching what's happening across the border, it's similar. And we've spoken to solicitors there who are kind of leading the way, similar to, similarly to yourself, on children um, with special educational needs. So, again, the spotlight shines on these issues, but again, they've always been there you know I mean best of luck with that work and I guess it's it's ongoing I suppose um, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely we probably will touch on as well we we spoke a bit about your the fact that we're here in our unique part of the world in Northern Ireland and your role as well so I think prior to you working in uh, your current position you had been involved in something um, known as the Bally Murphy inquest. Not all of our listeners will be familiar with it. So do you want to just touch on your experience there? I mean, you're probably quite newly newly qualified then or? When yeah, no, no, I was still, uh, I was actually, that's what, uh, I was an apprentice at that stage and that's why I was, I was, it was, it was a fantastic exposure for me, my apprenticeship. I obviously, I was, it was on Murray Slitters in Springfield Road and, uh-huh. um, Part of Murray in particular, uh, as a solicitor, you know, the amount of um, monumental inquests mm-hmm. and other human rights uh, work that he's done himself is, you know, it's, it's the list is endless. It's testament yeah. to him, and it was. I was just, uh, I have to say, I was extremely lucky that the timing of my apprenticeship coincided with the Bal Murphy inquest and being conducted, and and it was very moving at times. I have to say, very emotive, and when, when you see the families and. Uh, some of the evidence that was being given uh, and their reaction to, to their loved ones, you know, and it's and indeed it was you had the likes of Michael Mansfield QC and anyone who's within the, the legal profession, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about probably the foremost human rights QC that there has for me that there has ever been. You yeah. know, a guy who's been involved in Bloody Sunday, Hillsborough, Granville, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the list again for for Michael and. To, to see practitioners of his quality and um, you know, just really espousing everything that's good about human rights lawyers absolutely. And, 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 and seeking justice for the families was was absolutely incredible and I have to say it was just it was a, it was a pleasure for me just to be there and witness it you know I was and I, I know Dara was involved as well um, and he, he he had previously touched upon that and um, 
I think in particular just because of you know you had Bloody Sunday and then Bal and Murphy were in shorts of uh, succession of one another. That's right. As you said, sir, we, we are in a, a unique situation. The Troubles was a very um, difficult time for so many. Yeah. Um, and, and we continue to this day to try and um, address issues that have been uh, as a result of, of that period. And I, I suppose the legal profession as well, you're always trying to seek truth and justice um, for our clients, uh, especially particularly legacy, when anyone who loses, loses a loved one, but in, in circumstances of that nature. And um, I have to say, that when you see the reaction of, of, of clients, of, of those who have lost loved ones, and, yeah. and, and the avenue that, that, that an inquest provides in terms of transparency and truth, and it, mm-hmm. uh, it's closure for so many people, and, and that's yes. what it is. It, it, it's closure, and it allows them to accept that what has gone on has gone on, and they, 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 they can move on content that they know the exact truth of what happened to their loved ones, and I, I have to say I would be a massive advocate of um, Legacy inquests, you know, they've yeah. come under fire. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think the Prime Minister certainly hasn't with mm-hmm. his comments. And I think that the whole um, creation of this podcast, in particular, in, in relation to you know, lefty lawyers and <laughs> how they're being hamstrung, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely disingenuous and, and dangerous on their behalf to be uh, for so many. And I know you're well aware of that through your, the great work that you do there with. And um, no, I think legacy inquests in particular are very unique to, the, to this jurisdiction. And, unique and um, important. And I, I suppose there's still a lot of work exactly. to be done. Um, some people are still waiting for their day and waiting to, yeah. you know, to to get justice for their families and their loved ones. And it, it's it's difficult times because all of this is mixed in with the current very, well, I guess it's a very unstable political climate. Uh, where we're starting to see maybe a little bit of instability when it comes to Northern Ireland as a result of, you know, the discussions around the protocol in place now, yeah. uh, the border. So, I mean, how do you see, and this is probably a difficult one, it's not one that maybe anybody can answer, but the work that you're doing and the continuation, I suppose, of all activists, lawyers, experts, representatives of families who, you know, are still seeking justice and um, they still need to have the government and uh, former actors, I suppose, held accountable. Uh, they're waiting on apologies, redress, etc. How do you think that will continue or do you think there will be somewhat of an interruption there because of what's happening um, around, I guess, Brexit is is what's yeah. doing everything, you know, to one but, side. But it, it is it, it's sort of even for legal practitioners, it is there is somewhat uncertainty there in terms of we have uh, our own office of a few um, judicial reviews at the moment in respect of legacy inquests. And, um, they've been somewhat stayed because of the transition period, obviously because of um, any any reference to the like Article Two compliance and um, inquests at the European courts. So so that is. Um, we, we we hope that it will continue and that I think more than ever the clear and principled voice of the legal profession is needed. I mean, because for any, as I say, any democratic society, the legal profession, and especially through judicial review, you've seen that it's come under attack yes. last year and, and, and then it was included in the Tory man- yeah. Exactly, the Tory manifesto about oh, we need to dilute and we need to reduce the influence. But that... Judicial review and the judiciary, in particular, for me, are an absolute essential part of the check and balances. I mean, it's and, even and shocking. To, <laughs> yeah, it's shocking to contemplate that that was 
a matter yeah. that you have to grapple with, you know. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's just, you know, as I said, we have to, we have to ensure, as I've seen uh, some of the, the, the chat about the, the, this review, judicial review, indeed, the Law Society in the North here had actually um, put out last year that they, they had got a cohort of um, practitioners together um, to discuss uh, administrative uh, public law and mm-hmm. judicial review and, and, and its powers. And I have to say, that judicial review in its current format is probably the last bastion or the, the last real mm-hmm. effective means of holding um, government and governmental agencies to account. You know, mm-hmm. it gives individuals a voice. And you've seen so many you know, fantastic examples, um, mm-hmm. over even over the last past 12 months with all the disruption. And for me, judicial review, for anyone who's wanting to get into law or anyone who wants to, to, to become excited or, or read up on, on cases, judicial reviews are fantastic. You know, it's, it really, it gives the individual an opportunity to say, no, no, this is wrong and this is why. And, and it keeps, as I say, it's an essential part it's of the, the checks and balances. Absolutely. And, and we have to have that oversight and scrutiny. Otherwise, yeah, God knows, you know, God knows where that leads us to in terms of uh, yeah. governments um, just acting in a, in a single-minded manner and certainly not operating at the, at the will of the people. Of course, and that coupled with, I suppose, the failure to provide adequate legal aid as well. You know, particularly if we're dealing exactly. a lot with solicitors who are just you know, finding it almost in impossible the in, in Northern Ireland yeah. to, to continue their work. It's quite... And the um, era of fake news, oh. that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, it's that the headlines being... Um, and the attention's being drummed up about you know fat cat lawyers. Fat and cat all lawyers. This. I'd and, love and, to meet. You know, uh, I'd love to meet a fat uh, cat lawyer. In exactly. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> and as you said, if if you were saying to someone, what profession would you go in where it's a nine to five job? Mm. It certainly wouldn't be law. And if you were in law, you go into law for 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 personal reasons and for reasons that you want to make a change within society. Mm. So I don't even think like for you and I, the, the whole fantasy of a nine to five job. It's just, it's just, it's you know, it's not within our. We don't contemplate it because we're happy to do the work because we enjoy the work and because you believe I'm genuinely doing the right thing here. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting the good fight and yeah. I, I'm trying my best here to, to, to enhance the lives of others. You know, and enhance society. You know, yeah. sometimes, and particularly the last number of months, I think it's been particularly important for society as a whole to see. You know, perhaps hit the reset button and, and consider what's really important. And exactly. I think that's it's very yeah. important, as you said about legal aid. It's, it's, it's yeah. it really does. I have to say, I could go off on one, but it infuriates me <laughs> it's when a I different, see. I I know. I mean, we we're in a group as well, a working group around it, and um, just dealing with uh, the issues in Northern Ireland. I have to say, some of the solicitors' stories are absolutely appalling. The hours that yeah. they put in for for nothing, basically, it's nothing. Yeah. So um, we really need an overhaul as well. And again, as you say, any threat to any mechanism like judicial review just cannot be tolerated. And no. this is why I suppose we um, in here and a few of my colleagues thought about activist lawyer because we were so incensed at the government's proposal to you know attack the legal profession this way and you refer to the other phrases that we use the the lefty lawyers and the do-gooders we're not just talking about lawyers it's the campaigners the activists who work hand in hand a lot of the time with lawyers and to kind of push issues forward on behalf of people who are perhaps more vulnerable and don't have a voice and I'm glad that most people held on to that phrase and really owned it 
activist lawyer and didn't, you know, it kind of stirred people to, to work harder and push their cause further and really stand up in the face of a governmental attack like that, which was absolutely appalling. But you're right, we still need to keep an eye on other issues like legal aid. Um, you know, and like judicial review and ensure that these um, remain in place and are improved Absolutely. so that people have better access. And just on that, I suppose we'll we'll finish up in terms of activist lawyer and what that means to you and how, I suppose, how important is it to you that activism continues? I mean, you've touched on really important issues there. We probably talk all day on, on these, these matters, but just for any of our um, aspiring lawyers listening as well, I mean, would you recommend, you've already mentioned about the importance of, of your work and how you would recommend human rights but activism how should we keep our finger on the button and how important in these times is it to you know remain vigilant and press on yeah i would say one thing i particularly enjoy and i think it's a fantastic way to continue to to better yourself i suppose you know and, and that, um, as an activist and as a solicitor you always I suppose i take those from sport you know how you want to push on and and, and you want to make be the best that you can be for your clients and i think reading in particular is, is a great you know there's mm-hmm. some fantastic dogs i think like joshua rosenberger and um, david allen green they always produce um really interesting law mm-hmm. uh, law blogs and like the you know just i suppose newspapers and on mm-hmm. various aspects but I would say it's all around us you know we have free mm-hmm. free access to the media uh, as much as we can get it and uh, I know we're in the age of uh, fake news and whatnot but there are so many ways in which and I'm saying about even um, I know it sounds not the greatest of or not the most interesting Saturday nights but if you're going to have an opportunity to go over cases and and um, just read various aspects of it. But I think, you know, constantly reading newspapers and, and reading blogs and saying, because it's important to, to adopt different perspectives also, you know, you, you you have to appreciate that you have to be flexible in some regards. And um, yeah. But I think activism in general, I think this, this podcast, and as you said, those comments, uh, very pretty Patel, have worked conversely and they, they've certainly uh-huh. solidified the, the profession. And, and, and if, if we were feeling somewhat... Um, disparaged there it has rejuvenated so many of us to say no no we are doing the right thing and know that this this is the right this is a a cause that we're fighting for and this is why I get into law in the first place and this is why I chose this profession and I think that's a for us I think that's a a very it's a great place to be in and something that we should relish and and, uh, we owe it to our clients and we owe it to our colleagues to to hand in hand work in tandem to to make things and make society a better place for all. Absolutely. Well, as you said, there's so much out there. There's so many resources and so many great lawyers like yourself. We, we've been so lucky to meet so many and have them on this show and we look forward to our future guests. But I think, I mean, that's fantastic advice for anybody listening who's interested in, in this area. And Kieran, God, we hope to have you back again to uh, check in with <laughs> no, you no around. Problem. And no I know you're, you're close by to us. I'm hoping your case goes well today in, in your, your, <laughs> your fitness in between your very busy schedule. But it's been absolutely great to have you and thank you for sharing your insights and your, your opinions as well. It'll be very valuable to so many listeners. And thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Well, really appreciate we'll talk to you again. Um, this has been the Activist Lawyer Podcast. I'm Sarah Henry and we look forward to speaking with our guest next week. <laughs>